Welcome to Camthropod, the Cambridge Anthropology Podcast. This is episode 27, Kurdish Women and Desires for Voice, by Marlena Sheffers. This is the voice of a Kurdish female singer, also known as a Dengbej, performing at an impromptu concert at a small civil society organization supporting female singers in the city of Wan in eastern Turkey. In Turkey, voices like these have long provoked intense suspicion, denial, and even violence. Until the 1990s, the Kurdish language was banned in Turkey and Kurdish existence denied. It was illegal to give your children Kurdish names, Kurdish folk songs could only be performed with Turkish lyrics, and numerous Kurdish musicians, artists, and writers have been convicted to prison for publishing or performing in Kurdish. Even though some of those restrictions have been lifted over the last two decades, the Kurdish voice continues to be an object of suspicion in Turkey. Speaking, singing or writing in Kurdish is quickly perceived as indicating a lack of political loyalty, as an act of bad citizenship. Kurdish women who seek to raise their voices in public do not only face these political restrictions, but they also encounter gender-specific barriers. In Kurdish communities, it can be considered immodest or shameful for women's voices, particularly their singing voices, to be heard in public. This means that women can face severe resistance from their families and social communities for wanting to sing in public. Despite such gendered and political restrictions, I have found that Kurdish women, like the one whose voice you just heard, have shown remarkable perseverance. They insisted on raising their voices at concerts, festivals, or that local singers' association, where the recording was made, despite the potentially harsh consequences. Why this desire for voice? What motivates it, and what effects does it have? My name is Marlene Schäfers. I am an assistant professor in cultural anthropology at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. And these are some of the questions that I've spent the last couple of years thinking about as I've done research with Kurdish female singers and poets in northern Kurdistan, also known as Southeast Turkey. It's a refrain we know all too well. Speak up, be vocal, raise your voice. The voice, we're told, is a means of empowerment, even resistance. Historically marginalized and disadvantaged subjects, like the Kurdish women in Turkey that I worked with, are routinely encouraged to raise their voices to assert their will and presence. In my book, Voices That Matter, which was recently published by the University of Chicago Press, I set out to critically examine this contemporary politics of voice, where we are continually encouraged to raise our voices in the name of empowerment and agency. 
It seems to me that one result of this politics is that the voice becomes an object of intense desire and appeal, particularly for those who have historically been denied a voice. But because we have imbued the voice with such immense political, social and moral value, it can also easily become a site of conflict and contestation. In this podcast, I want to share a few insights from my research with you. And perhaps most importantly, I want to use this medium to let you listen to the voices of the women I worked with. It's not like that. Look, it's like that. Take a breath like that in this way. Wait a second. I've told you with this voice. So breathe. When you don't breathe, it becomes difficult. Then your voice first emerges, but then it recedes. So let go of your voice. See how I open my mouth? One thing that all the talk about being vocal and speaking up doesn't capture very well is the actual sound or the acoustics of the voice. What you just heard are two of my closest interlocutors working together, one instructing the other how to modulate her voice. How a voice sounds matters for what effects it can have. So how does a voice that is going to matter in that metaphorical sense as an index of empowerment, how does such a voice actually sound like? To me, this is one of the key questions we need to ask if we're going to understand how ideas about the voice as a means of self-expression, empowerment and agency are having an impact on how people actually use their voices and to what effect. Fueled by the promises that come with having a voice, new desires for voice are changing Kurdish soundscapes and repertoires. When we look at long-established, traditional Kurdish oral repertoires, we find that singers or storytellers typically do not use their voices to express their own personal opinions, ideas or feelings. Rather, they impersonate the voices of the different characters involved in a given story or account. Women's voices appear in such narratives often to recount the tragic fate of a male relative, like a husband, a lover or a son. So in these traditional repertoires, women's voices recount less their own personal stories than the stories, typically tragic and full of suffering, of close and loved ones. As an example, let me play an extract from a song performed for me by the mother of a friend where she recounts a visit to Istanbul to see her daughter, who was at the time imprisoned 
for her political engagement with the Kurdish movement. The first thing that strikes me about this song is that even though it has a clear plot, it recounts the mother's trip to Istanbul, the narrative is by no means straightforward. This is the result of how the singer employs what seems like a rather confusing pattern of reported speech, where she constantly shifts between different narrative positions to recount her journey. So the song lacks a single stable subject that could be identified as the center of the narrative, which is in fact quite typical of long-standing Kurdish oral repertoires. Now, the second thing that seems important to highlight is that the singer's personal feelings, particularly her sadness, given that her daughter is in prison, is not actually transmitted through the song's lyrics. Those lyrics rather focus on recounting the visit to Istanbul and the situation of the daughter. But where we do get a sense of the singer's sorrows is in the sonic elaboration of her voice. The way in which she extends and embellishes the final vowels of each line, how her voice ascends and descends and draws out expressions like ach or a. So while the narrative focuses on the hardship that has befallen the daughter, it is the acoustics of the voice that expresses the mother's own sentiments and emotions. Now, Compare this with the following song. This is a song about the death of a beloved brother-in-law, performed by Dengbej Gazin. Like in so many traditional songs, 
here a woman gives voice to the tragic fate of a male relative. But the acoustics are very different from what we heard earlier. Note how the irregular meter and rhyme of the classical repertoires are here replaced by short verses with regular rhyme and rhythm, each followed by a refrain. Gone are the melismatic, vibrating elongations of single letters and syllables. Instead, the acoustics become a lot simpler, drawing attention to the meaning of the words rather than focusing on the vocal elaboration itself. If we look at the lyrics, we also no longer see the intermingling of different voices and personas that appear in many classical repertoires. Instead, a singular subject and its feelings now stand at the center of the narrative. If we compare the two songs, what we see is how the voice as a sound object in its own right recedes, while the narrative becomes the new focus. Might this be the kind of voice demanded by contemporary politics of voice? Those that encourage us to raise our voices in the name of empowerment and emancipation? In a world where having a voice is a measure of your empowerment, that voice needs to reliably express yourself, your thoughts, your feelings and desires. Otherwise, it's hard to read such a voice as a sign of will and agency. That does not leave much space for nonsensical, frivolous or extravagant voices. Those voices, at least, won't be the voices that matter. And once your voice is primarily a means to express your own self, rather than, say, someone else's worries or thoughts or feelings, and once the focus lies on what it says, rather than how it sounds, that also means less space to hide and less space to play. With that in mind, let's listen to the following piece. This song, also by Dengbej Gazin, is an extremely personal song that focuses on feelings of loneliness. Gazin recounts how she's telling her sorrows 
crying out like a crane, as she puts it in the song, but that nobody hears her voice. If we consider the acoustics of this song, we can see that there are hardly any vocal elaborations or embellishments, and the focus really lies on the lyrics themselves. Very different from the traditional repertoires, here rhythm and meter are regular, there's a uniform verse structure and a consistent rhyming pattern, plus very clear articulation and slow tempo. All of which helps the meaning of the lyrics to, in a sense, outcompete the sonic force of the voice. Here, we encounter a voice that gives intimate insight into the worries and anxieties of the singer, but it does so through narrative and less through acoustics, which is quite different from the earlier example we heard, that of my friend's mother recounting her journey to Istanbul. And yet, this new, dare I say, sincere voice provides little place to hide, and this makes it risky for women in particular. As I mentioned earlier, in Kurdish communities, it is often considered immodest for women to raise their voices in public. Historically, women have circumvented these barriers by singing anonymously or by using their voice to express the feelings of another. But if only a voice that sincerely expresses yourself is what matters politically, then suddenly anonymity is more of a drawback than an advantage. Nonetheless, as an index of empowerment and agency, the voice remains extraordinarily attractive. Given that contemporary politics of voice have elevated the voice to what it is, it seems to me that people will strive to raise their voices and make themselves heard, no matter the consequences. The voices of the subaltern, the marginalized, the minoritized, these voices are hard to tame in a context where the voice promises so much. And so I think the voices of Kurdish women will stay with us, Jinjian Azadi, they have been shouting, Woman, Life, Freedom. <laughs>